Today's a little bit of a science lesson before we get into uh, the scripture. So I want to take you back to junior high and high school science class, and I want to remind you of the law of the conservation of matter, which is a law of physics that matter or material cannot be created or destroyed. Now, obviously, that, that's after God's creation week, but in the world as it is now, in the laws of physics as they currently function, matter cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change state. So when the snow melts this week, it's supposed to get quite warm and actually not even freeze a few nights, the snow will melt away. That didn't disappear. It just, you know, it changed from a solid to a liquid. And when a puddle of, in the mud dries up, the water didn't cease to exist. It just changed states. It vaporized and floated off in the air. So matter cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change states. So every few hours at home, I have to put wood in my wood stove. And I put in, oh, maybe 15 pounds of wood. And that'll last, depending on where we have our thermostat set on the stove, that'll last anywhere from three hours to 10 if I want to make it burn slow enough. My question this week for Sarah is, I was just watching the fire. We had a glass door on our wood stove and it's, it's beautiful to watch the fire in there. And my, I just kind of threw this out and then the Lord showed me that this was, a, this was him. If matter cannot be created or destroyed, where did the 15 or 20 pounds of firewood every few hours, where does it go? Because the ash doesn't weigh anything. In fact, the ash is so feathery light that I have to be super careful opening the door on our stove or it puffs out. And Obviously, we know that the fire is consuming the wood. It's breaking it down. But it didn't, it just changed the state of the material, of the molecules. It didn't, it didn't destroy anything. Everything that was in that wood when I put it in the stove still exists, just in a different molecule somewhere, floated out the chimney. Really, actually, if we could capture all of the steam and smoke that comes out our chimney while that wood burns, it would weigh the same as the wood as no matter was created or destroyed in that fire. I thought I was just musing, but actually the Lord's like, no, this is me making you ask these questions like, what is fire? And actually, I found out this week that no one knows. Scientists do not know what fire is. Especially, the unanswerable question is, where does light come from? What, in, on a candle flame, or as the wax burns, or wood on a campfire, or whatever it is that's burning, where does the light come from? Because it isn't being created. Hello. And, of course, scientists don't, would never say that there's light in the wood. But maybe if our God is a consuming fire and our God is light and everything is made by him, but not just made by him, but made of him, maybe. Fire produces an amount of light depending on temperature. Um, red flames are the coolest, 500 degrees. Um, blue flame is 3,000 degrees. Yellow, orange, white, um, it works up toward. But there's, there's hotter temperatures. There's things we can make hotter than 500 degrees, but they don't produce light. So th there's this question of what is fire? 
we know a little bit about how it works, and I'm going to show you a little three or four minute video here. This is kind of sciencey, so I'm sorry if you don't like science, but you, you need to know this before we move on. Here is what is fire. In the mid-1800s, Michael Faraday gave a series of Christmas lectures for kids at the Royal Institution in London, and one of his favorite subjects to talk about was fire. Faraday was particularly interested in candles because inside their delicate flames, they hold some amazing lessons on how fire really works. Now, you might have seen fire described like this in chemistry class, but a chemical formula doesn't explain what fire is any more than a recipe explains what chocolate chip cookies taste like. The first thing we notice about a candle flame is all those colors. Hot things glow because of black body radiation, which we talked about in our video about the color of the universe. Down at the bottom of the flame, it's hotter, so it glows blue. And in the middle, it's a little cooler, so it glows yellowish orangish. Inside of that flame, there can be hundreds of chemical reactions taking place. The oxygen in the air and the carbon and hydrogen in the candle, they don't do anything on their own. It takes a little outside heat to get things started. The solid fuel is vaporized by the heat and ripped into smaller chunks. This is called pyrolysis, and you can't have a flame without it. You can sometimes see a dark cone around the wick where there's no fire. That's where vaporized wax is coming off the candle, but it hasn't started to burn yet. Well, the hydrocarbons and oxygen in the air slam into each other, and their atoms begin to rearrange. Sometimes electrons in those atoms get into an excited state. When they come back down again, they give off light. That's why the bottom of the flame glows blue. Not all the carbon in the candle gets converted to CO2, so leftover carbon atoms come together and form tiny particles of soot, which heat up and glow orange and yellow like the hot coals under a grill. This glowing soot is where most of a candle's light comes from. Eventually, at the tip of the flame, all the soot is burned away, and we're left with only carbon dioxide and water floating off into the air. You can investigate all the different parts of a flame for yourself with just a cold piece of metal. Up here, we find water vapor. In the yellow part of the flame, soot. And down just next to the wick, we can even recover unburned wax. Flames look really cool, too. They're almost Wait, what was I talking about? Oh, oh right, shape. Gravity pulls cool, denser air down and makes hot air rise. And this buoyancy is what gives flames their familiar shape. But if you light a flame in zero G, say on the space station, it'll look very different. All the chemical and quantum reactions that make a flame glow can only happen where it meets the air. So even though they look like solid cones, candle flames are actually hollow. As long as there's fuel and oxygen, a flame will burn and burn. Why? See, it's not the molecular ripping apart that makes a flame hot. It's the formation of new molecules and new bonds is what creates heat. And that heat drives the chain reaction forward, vaporizing more fuel, slamming more molecules into one another, and making the fire burn on. Our species has been gathering around fire for thousands of years, telling stories and asking questions over a flickering flame. And that's part of what helped make us human in the first place. Stay curious. All right. To have fire, we have to have fuel and heat and energy.
The fuel is the wood or the, the candle wax or whatever it is that's burning, natural gas, or your campfire wood. But the heat is the core of the fire. The heat is what makes everything happen. It's the energy. There has to be heat for a fire to start. And when you draw your match across the little scratchy part that makes the match light on fire, that red chemical that's on the end of the match is just easily heated up. That's a chemical that heats up really hot, really fast. It's exactly the same process as if you've ever tried to start a fire by spinning a stick on, on wood. And, and it's really, really slow and darn near impossible, actually, but it can happen. You can light a fire through friction. You know, you, know, you do this with your hands. Your hands get warm. You're creating heat. You're creating energy. And so when you rub two pieces of wood together, it's really, really, really slow, but you get enough fr friction that you get heat, and then that heat... Once you reach a temperature of the combustion of your fuel, then, then you get fire. The heat is actually what's driving the fire. If you look at a candle or even a stick on fire, you will see that the fire never touches the fuel. The fire is microscopically off of the log or the candle wick or whatever because in between is, there's heat and the heat is vaporizing the candle wax, or it's actually vaporizing the firewood. It's turning the wood instantly from a solid into a gas, and as the gas then comes off of the, the firewood, it bursts into flame. The wood itself is just getting heated up, and then the gases burn, and when they burn, they produce light, and they produce more heat. It's called an exothermic reaction because it produces heat. There's enough heat not just to continue the flame, but also that we can feel. This is really important. It's the heat that vaporizes the solid instantly into a gas, and then the gas explodes in the same way gasoline explodes. It's just that, that explosion at a microscopic level, that's what's giving us heat and light from out of the particles. And then as more heat is produced, as all those particles explode and give off heat and light, more heat is produced, more particles come off of the fire log, and it just goes as long as there's fuel. It just goes. And then there's light. For there to be fire, there has to be light. That's the interaction with the oxygen in the atmosphere where that a little explosion happens and light comes out of the explosion. And we know that light comes out of most explosions, gunpowder, gasoline, or those tiny microscopic explosions that are happening in a candle flame. And that's what nobody understands. Where did that come from? Since nothing can be created, is there light in the candle wax? Is there light in the firewood? I don't know. A light bulb is not a fire. Next picture is an incandescent light bulb. So there's electricity flowing through that wire inside there. And the wire gets really hot because it has a specific exact resistance to electricity. It gets really hot. So there's heat and there's light, but there's not flame because there's no fuel. The wire is not burning up. For there to be fire, there has to be fuel that is consumed. It's coming apart. The fire is making it come apart. Everybody say the fire is making it come apart. Okay, but that's not what's happening in a light bulb. The wire isn't coming apart. 
molten metal, either a blacksmith shop or a steel mill, there's heat and light there too, but there isn't fire because the metal is not being consumed. It isn't fueling anything. The, it's not producing heat either. We had to put the heat into the metal and it's always cooling off. Whereas your wood stove or a candle or your campfire, those are not cooling off. That's self-sustaining. It's actually producing more heat than it needs and that's why we feel warmth. There's our science lesson. So really what, what fire is doing, we can, we can know what fire is doing. We just don't know what it is. It's a very, very, very fast decomposition. It's just decomposing the wood, breaking it down, taking it apart, or the, the candle wax or whatever. And over time, in the woods, that over 200 years, that wood would decompose and rot away. Fire just makes it happen in a few hours. As they showed in the little graphic in the video, fire is very violent. It's at a really small level, so when you look at a flame on a candle, it seems really peaceful and kind of wispy. And you look at a campfire, and it's super relaxing. But if you were in the fire, it's extremely violent because all of those little particles are going from a solid to a gas instantly, and then they're exploding, and there's heat, and there's light, and energy, and there's stuff moving, and that moves the air, and that's what makes the candle flame burn up because the cold air underneath the flame is getting sucked up into the flame and heated, and hot air rises. Convection in your oven, uh, if you know about that. It's moving the heat around. It's actually really turbulent in the fire, even though it's such happening at such small scale, we look at, the, and at your oil lamp flame and like, wow, that's so beautiful. My, back to my original question, where does my firewood go? It, it can't be uncreated, but it just changes state. It goes from this solid log to ash, and the rest of it went up the chimney as steam and smoke, and in the smoke are all these particles of carbon and other chemicals that went up. Put on your, your revelation caps here. In the Bible, there's a word for where my firewood went. The firewood literally went up into the air. What's the Bible word that would encompass smoke, oxygen, air, convection, movement of wind, What's the word? Spirit. The word spirit means wind, breath, air in motion. My firewood, using the biblical term completely correctly, my firewood went into the spirit. I don't mean non-physical as opposed to spiritual. I mean it went into the wind. It went into the air. Except for the ash. Anybody guessed where I'm going yet? Let's have our first Bible verse. Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Hallelujah. <laughs> that wind is blowing so hard, it's shaking the projector because the roof is vibrating. And it filled the house where they were sitting, and then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. God lit them on fire, and they became spirit. I don't mean non-physical. I mean the spirit. They instantly went from human to spirit. They went from flesh 
to Holy Spirit. They were, there was convection, there was movement, there was chaos as the fire stirred the air. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. God lit their candle on the day of Pentecost. Some of you have had your candle lit. And when that happened, you remembered it. There was quite a bit of combustion. It might have got hot. It might have been a little scary. It was a little wild. There was lots of movement. There was flame. And you were vaporized. God turned on the heat. And you got changed from a solid to a gas. From flesh to spirit. There are four types of fire in the Bible that I want to talk about this morning. And the first one is the baptism of fire. The Pentecost, when God lights your heart on fire. Probably a lot of you, because we are a charismatic church, have experienced this at one time or another, or maybe more than once. Um, You've experienced the fire of God come into you or on you or out of you. People describe their hands on fire. People describe a burning sensation. People describe sometimes just being flooded with love. But something major, some major spiritual event has happened to a lot of us. If that hasn't happened to you, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the fire of God, we would love to pray for you and have you experience the love of God. I grew up in a church where I was told that it was all fake and it was a lie and it was emotion, it was drama, and um, I was scared of it. And after a decade of fasting and praying and searching and wanting and learning and getting over myself and my fear when it happened. I'm like, what in the world was I so scared about? That was the best thing that ever happened. It was awesome. But it is a fire. It's something different than salvation. It really is. I can't explain it. I'm not here to teach that there is some particular order or the people who haven't experienced it have, don't, aren't saved. That's, that's not true. You can be born again and eternally saved and not have experienced this, but, but it's available and it's, it's absolutely wonderful, but, but it's hot. It's hot. God will, God will come on you and he will change your state. But look, listen, he's not destroying you. He's not uncreating you. He's just changing your state of existence. His fire comes on you and you are instantly moved into the spirit. To a certain extent, you will come undone. But all the parts that come undone is the stuff you didn't want anyway. As he puts the heat on, (laughs) you get moved into the spirit. We would love to talk with you pray with you, lay hands on you if you want the fire of God in your heart and your body. There's a second type of fire that the Bible mentions, and that's the fire on the altar of sacrifice. The tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, the first altar that you would come to before you actually got into the temple building was the altar of sacrifice, where they would burn the lambs and the cows of sacrifice. There was a fire on that altar Every day and every morning and every evening, they would make blood sacrifices of animal body parts. 
And everybody that brought their offering of, through the day, they brought their animal of sacrifice, those were burned on the altar. In the new covenant, we don't have that. We don't have a temple. We don't have animal sacrifices. But here's what we are told. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul tells us our job is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Well, the word sacrifice only means one thing to the people he's writing it to, so it's what it has to mean to us, and that is they knew what a sacrifice was. A sacrifice is I pull the lamb into the temple courtyard, the priest gets his knife, stabs it in the neck, slits its neck open, drains all of its blood into a cup, and throws it on the fire. It was violent. It was bloody. It was gory. It was death. And it was holy. And they knew that. And Paul knows that. And he says, I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, meaning you're not going to physically get stabbed and slit your neck and all your blood drained out, but you are going to die. Present your body before the altar. Our sacrifice, our altar that we lay ourselves down on every day, we have to re-choose. Paul says, I die daily. Every day we have to lay down on that altar and die to ourselves, die to our own will, die to our priorities, die to what we want, forgive big things. It's death. It's a death to myself. It's a death to my will. It's a death to my own feelings. When, when Jesus says, if someone has something against you, you go and make peace. Like, no, God, they need to make peace with me. No, you go make peace with them. That's a death. That's a living sacrifice. When you're the wronged party, but Jesus expects you to go and forgive, not just forgive, but make peace. To love an unlovable person is a death. It's us presenting our body every day. My body, God, is available for you to what do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? What do you want me to obey? Who do I serve? Who do I love? Who do I give? My money, my time, my attention, it's all yours. That's a death, folks. And it's a fire. And it burns. It hurts. It burns so hot. But it is the heat. As God applies the heat, you come apart. But when you come apart, you may even feel like your heart's exploding. Light comes out. You're the light of the world. There's only one way you can produce light, and that is if God turns the heat really, really hot. Light comes out. You're not walking around this candle of Jesus. I'm a city on a hill. I'm a lamp on a stand. I'm a light of the world. I'm shining my good works in front of the world. No, uh, that light doesn't happen unless you're on fire. And fire is hot. And it hurts. And it's a death. And it burns. And I'm on the altar and I'm getting roasted. Why am I God's barbecue? So that light will come out. You may truly, honestly feel like you're coming apart. You are. The heat is vaporizing. 
you. Taking you into the spirit. And even though it looks peaceful, the flame is beautiful, it's really violent when you're in it. This is the obedience, the sacrifice of suffering. And I'm not talking about suffering in general because everyone in the whole world suffers. Everyone in the world gets their heart broken. Everyone in the world gets offended, gets wronged. It's our response to that that is laying our bodies on the altar. That's the forgiveness, the love, the refusing to take offense, the refusing to give up on a person that just hurts you over and over and over again, but you, you, they're family, so you have to love them. They're, they're church family. You have to love them. They're, there's this person that God has given to you to minister to and serve and bring to the Lord, and they're just so much trauma and drama and heat. <laughs> God, this burns. I cannot take this. You're right. You can't take it. He's taking you apart. He's vaporizing your candle wax and turning it into flame. Because the flame, the reason the scientists cannot explain what fire is, is because flame is God. Our God is a consuming fire. You read all the descriptions of God from the Old Testament. He is made of flame. His throne is made of flame. And his Bible says he makes his servants flames of fire. You cannot burn while you stay whole. You have to come apart. He has to change you from solid to a gas instantly because of heat, pressure, and then you explode and light and warmth come out. And the world says, hey, there's light. I've been lost in darkness all my life, but I see light in you. We crawl up on the altar and lay our bodies down. We're not going to physically die. We're not going to physically burn, but it burns. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. The fire on the altar of sacrifice. Number three fire in the Bible is the fire on the altar of incense. Inside the temple, in the first room, there was an altar where God says the fire never is to go out. Fire on the altar of incense was right in front of the curtain, and on the back side of that curtain was the second room where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they were to continually offer incense before the Lord. And that's our praise and our worship. And those of you who really know how to pray, those of you who really know real worship, you know it's a fire where you lose yourself. And it's not bad. Sometimes it might be hot, sometimes not. Sometimes it's just beautiful. But you can absolutely lose yourself going into the spirit. It's the fire of the altar of incense. I don't just mean that you lose track of time or conscious of the room around you. That may or may not happen. If you've prayed for real, where you've gotten into the, what John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. If you've gotten to that place, either in singing or praying or meditation, um, you know that the rest of your praying is not that. Let's put it that way. There's average everyday praying. There's I'm bored praying. There's I can hardly stay awake praying. There is, oh, I fell asleep praying. But then there is praying that is fire, where you're burning with passion for God or the person that you're praying for or the situation or, or just 
just you and God. And, and there's just moments where you completely lose yourself. You come apart and you're in the Spirit. And those probably are rarer than the rest of it. But when you've experienced it, you know what I mean by the fire that, that consumes you in passion for God, in love, in prayer and worship. Fourthly, there's the fire of judgment. And we're all going to go through it, the saved and the unsaved. We're all going to go through God's fire of judgment on our lives. Those who are not born again and saved by Jesus, they just have to remain in it. The rest of us will go through it, though, from 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. Now the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Let me read this in another translation, and then I'll explain it. No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on Judgment Day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This verse is talking to those of us who are Christians. It says the foundation of our life is Jesus. But then you build your life, meaning the choices that you make, the actions you take, the things you do, the things you say, the people you serve, the way you serve God, forgiveness, love, all of, all of your daily Christian life is you building your life on the foundation of Jesus. And Paul tells us that all of that's going to go through a fire the fire of judgment. When we stand before Jesus, every individual one of us will pass through the fire of the Holy Spirit in judgment to determine whether our life had any value or not. If you spent all your money on yourself, if you spent all your time on yourself, if you did very little, then God says your life is straw and wood and hay. That burns up. It will not last. But if you gave your money away, you gave your time away, you honestly in real love forgave and served and ministered and your priorities were eternal instead of earthly, God says that is you building your life with gold and silver and jewels. And those won't burn up. They don't burn up in a fire. And that is reward for eternity. One more translation, same passage, different translation. The quality of materials used by anyone building on this foundation will soon be made apparent, whether it has been built with gold and silver and jewels or wood and hay and straw. Their work will soon become evident, for the day will make it clear, because it will be revealed by blazing fire. The fire will test and prove the workmanship of each builder. If his work stands the test of fire, he will be rewarded. If his work is consumed by the fire, he will suffer great loss. His work, meaning everything you do in your life. Some people, it says, you will, he himself will barely escape destruction like one being rescued out of a burning house. You can be saved, born again, forgiven of your sin, because you genuinely ask Jesus to forgive you. But if that's all you do, and then for the next decades of your life, you just go to church and watch TV and pay the bills and raise the kids, you're not living for eternity. 
you will suffer great loss. Your life will burn up in this fire. But if you live for eternity, if you honestly serve and forgive and love and serve the Lord and other people and in real love, then there's value. There's eternal value to that. And when Jesus passes your life through the fire, you will find out there's gold and silver and jewels in there. Diamonds, rubies, the decisions that you made to do the right thing, you, those, will say, those will go through the fire. So that again, this verse is for Christians. It's not talking about hell. We're all going to go through fire. Did you build your life on Jesus? Are there any valuables that are going to survive? Well, Jesus told you to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth. So, and he was talking about money. So when you genuinely give your money in real love to a ministry or a person on the street corner, if you do that in real love for Jesus, that's, a, that's an eternal jewel right there that will survive the fire. If you genuinely serve uh, in, in your church or, or in whatever capacity, what, whatever you do to humble yourself, you let God burn you now. Let God burn you now. It will burn less later. And not just less, but if you don't let him burn you now, you won't have anything for eternity. So at a basic level, our understanding is that as I do the right things, as I make the right choices, as I honestly seek the Lord and humble myself and submit to him and obey his word, that's creating eternal value that's going to go through the fire. It isn't going to burn up. But all the time that I spend surfing online, doing things for myself and spending my time and money for myself, all that is completely wasted. And there are going to be some people who will, who will make it to heaven, but they will have the greatest regret, agonizing regret that they wasted their lives and didn't live for the Lord in the ways that he had planned. But none of us do that perfectly. None of us serve for perfectly. None of us have perfect motives. None of us understand perfectly. So, my God, I want to store up my treasure in heaven. I want my life to have eternal value. I want to build with gold and silver and jewels on the foundation of Jesus. How do I get that? How does that happen? Well, in 2011, University of Scotland, a professor did an experiment with candle flame, and he wanted to find out what actually is in, what elements are in the flame of a candle. And they, I don't know how they collect all of the atoms and molecules, but they did. And in that candle flame, he found 100% pure carbon and been ripped apart by the heat out of the candle wax and all these molecules have been broken up by the heat. And in the flame as they're rising up through, he found pure carbon. Some of you know what is pure carbon. Take carbon, purify it with heat and a lot of pressure and a lot of time. What do you get? Diamonds. Diamonds. There are literal microscopic diamonds in a candle flame. How many, you ask? 1.5 million a second 1.5 million one-molecule-sized diamonds are created in a candle flame. One and a half million a second. 
and then they burn up. And they, or, or they don't, they go off as soot. So we could never see them, we could never collect them, and they're so tiny, and one molecule size, and one atom size, you could never build a, a jewelry diamond out of them. But here's my point. We want our lives to have eternal value. We want gold, silver, and jewels to not burn up in Jesus' fire of judgment. How do we get there? Just let him burn you now. Because in his fire, he turns you into millions of diamonds. He literally takes your fleshly heart, lights it on fire, and all the crap that is you burns away, and diamonds float off into heaven. As you choose to obey, as you submit, as you humble yourself, as you forgive, as you love, as you die to yourself over and over and over again, all the filth that is your flesh just burns away and goes up the chimney and a million and a half diamonds a second float off into heaven. When you get into heaven, if you have submitted to his fire now, if you have let him burn you, you have a treasure trove. I'm not lying to you. This is not obscure. You go look up nano diamonds in flame. You can find it all over the internet. This study is famous, although I didn't know a thing about it until a couple days ago. Isn't that exciting? Just let him burn you. Just let him burn you. And he is making you into diamond. You got to come apart (laughs) for that to happen. (laughs) But let him do it. Let Let him brand you. Let him roast you. Submit to it. Die to yourself. Let him burn. He's making you into diamonds. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our hearts that are such a mess and so broken and so clueless, and you light us on fire with the very presence of God. Lord, we lay down our lives. We put our bodies on the altar as living sacrifices. And we ask for your fire to fall. And consume the sacrifice. Burn us up, Lord. Burn us with holy fire. Burn us with fervor and passion and love and desire. And burn away all the impurities and all the dross and all the ugliness and all the flesh. Just just roast it away, Lord. And make your diamonds. We want to be of eternal value to you. We don't want to have wasted our lives. So Lord, we ask that your fire fall, and we thank you that you're with us in the fire, that we're not alone, that there's a fourth man in the furnace. Lord, we love you and we bless you. I thank you for every person here. I bless every person here in Jesus' name. I thank you that you're with them in their fire, whatever their situation is, Lord. Holy Spirit, lead them, lead each person in exactly what to do and say in their situation. And we understand that whatever that is, it'll be hot. But it's you, and it's beauty, and it's value, and it's glory. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.